0: It's good to see everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Have a seat. Come on up. Well, Mr. Michael read a story that Jesus told for us. And one way to tell a story is with words. So he stood there and he read the story to us. Another way to tell a story is to dance the story, and that's what these young women just did for us. They danced a story. The story they were dancing was a wedding feast, and so that's why they seemed so joyful, and the music right at the end got really happy. Didn't you hear that? Did it make you wanna just dance along with them, such happy music? What made me think about how many stories Jesus told about parties and feasts and wedding feasts. Jesus taught people that being with God, one of the ways he said it was, in the kingdom of God, it's like a feast. We're supposed to be joyful. And if we imagine a big feast, everybody is at the table. And when God has everybody at the table, I think God might want to dance too. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for these dancers from Rejoice Ballet who have given us a glimpse of your joy, the joy you feel when all your people are gathered. Help us to be joyful too and to be those who want to invite others to come to the feast, the party of your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, if you are three, four, or five? You're three. Awesome. Yay. Good. Okay. Well, you guys can go to children's church and you know what? You get to meet the dancers. And if you're older than that, you can go back and sit with parents or friends. So we have the story of the feast danced before us today and the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Michael read for us from the Gospel of Luke. One of those amazing parables of Jesus that is multi-layered and so many different ways to hear it and interpret it. One of the first things I do when I read a parable, when I explore it with myself or with others, is to think about which of these characters do I identify with. Which one most feels like me and my story? But that's a little challenging with this parable because Jesus paints the picture of two men who are extremely different and are sort of at the extreme ends of wealth and poverty. On one hand, we have the rich man, and Jesus describes him in this first verse as one who wears purple and fine linen. Most people could not afford purple cloth. Purple cloth was extremely expensive, as was linen, and for this person to be walking around every day wearing purple and fine linen is like wearing an Armani suit, if you're a man, every single day. He's not only wealthy, he's ostentatious about it. On top of that, he feasts sumptuously every day. And the word Jesus uses there is a word that would have been used to describe how people eat at a festival or a holiday. It's like he had Thanksgiving dinner every single day. So he's a bit of a a glutton. A.J. Levine, in her commentary, commentary on this parable, describes his behavior as obscene. An obscene an ostentatious way to display his wealth to the world. I don't know about you, but I don't really know anybody like that. Not in my circle of people that I actually know. Maybe there's a celebrity or something out there, but, but I don't know people who are that ostentatious and self-consumed like that. It's a little bit hard to identify with. On the other hand, we have this poor man named Lazarus who experiences poverty in every way possible. He is economically poor. Jesus says he longs to just have the crumbs off the rich man's table. He lives in this state of longing. He is poor in health. He's covered with sores. He is poor in community. There is no one who cares for him. It is only the dogs who see him and who come to be with him. He is poor in every way. And I don't know what that's like either. It's hard to identify with his experience. So if in these first verses I don't necessarily feel like I can identify with either of these characters quite yet, what's another way to get into the parable? Well, I had the thought that perhaps we could look at the names and how Jesus uses names in the parable and see if that unlocks something for us. We have a rich man who's not given a name. But the poor man is. The poor man is named Lazarus. He is the only character in any of Jesus' parables who's given a name. And so it could be that in telling the parable this way, Jesus is in just another form talking about the great reversal that happens in the kingdom of God. It is consistent throughout his ministry, throughout his life, especially in the Gospel of Luke. It starts with Mary, when she, is, when she has Jesus in her womb, she sings this song. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. We hear that reversal. In the sixth chapter of Luke, in the sermon that Jesus preaches, it's the sermon on the plain in Luke, not the sermon on the mount, as in Matthew. Whereas in Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And then he says, and woe to you who are rich. Blessed are those who are hungry, and woe to you who are full now. Again, this reversal. And Jesus seems to be preaching this theme over and over and living it out as a way of reminding all of us that God sees all of us, that we are all equal in the eyes and in the heart of God, and that in the kingdom of God, those who have suffered the most, the disenfranchised, the disinherited, are the ones who are put at the center of the table and celebrated. We're all invited, we're all included, but there's a special place in God's heart for those whose life on this earth has been especially poor. So with the naming, I think Jesus does this. But there may be something else going on. Someone pointed this out in Bible study on Tuesday morning. I'd never thought about it before. Maybe Jesus doesn't give the rich man a name so that we have to identify with him a little bit. If he's given a name, there was a rich man named Joe, then we can look at his behavior and say, that's just Joe, I'm not like Joe. But if he doesn't have a name, then maybe he's kind of a, an open door. Maybe there's an invitation for us to, to look at his example and ask ourselves, am I like that? I think Jesus is lifting up this rich man as an example, not of what to do, but what not to do. This is a cautionary tale Told to Jesus' audience and told to us to say, don't do what this rich man did. Put yourself in the story where he is and make some different choices. So, what is so bad about this rich man? He has a lot of stuff and he enjoys his stuff. He doesn't do anything actively to harm Lazarus or anyone else. I think, again, the naming can be a clue. When we follow him through this parable, we come to this moment where he and Lazarus have both died, they both left this earthly life, and they find themselves in the afterlife. Now let me say real briefly, this is something we could talk about in Bible study or at another time perhaps, I don't think Jesus is painting a literal picture of what the afterlife looks like. I think he is using these images and metaphors to teach a lesson about the here and now. So I'm not going to get too caught up in the Hades and the bosom of Abraham and all that. But we come to this moment where Lazarus is now in the bosom of Abraham with God being comforted and known and loved. And the rich man is in Hades engulfed in flames. And there's a chasm between them. And he looks up to Abraham and says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to come and cool my tongue with water he knew Lazarus' name all along. Every day when he walked out of his gate and stepped over Lazarus' body, he knew his name. And he did nothing. He did nothing to reach out to Lazarus and call him by name even, to see him as a fellow human being, to offer the hand of friendship, or, or even charity to give him some crumbs from his table. It's an indictment. And it's not that he was wealthy that was the problem. It was that he did not see Lazarus as a human being. He thought his wealth made him better than other people. And even in the flames of Hades, he can't see it. Even when Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, he does not speak to him directly. He speaks to Abraham and treats Lazarus like a servant. Send Lazarus down to meet my needs. Wow, that's an indictment and I I want to be careful and examine myself too. Are there ways that I don't see people, that I think of myself as somehow in some way better than others? There's a moment in Abraham's response that another name is called. It's not a proper name. But Abraham responds to the rich man and calls him child. Child, don't you see? And that term is a term of endearment, that a father would call a child, a son. And to me, the whole parable turns on that moment because it is a, it is a word of love and compassion, a word of invitation. It's not a condemnation. It's not an indictment. It's not... Pouring guilt on the rich man. It's, it's compassion for the tragic loss of opportunity. This man had an opportunity to get to know Lazarus. To be in a relationship with him. To learn from him and he from him. To share what he had with him. And experience the joy of connection with another human being. To get a taste of the feasts of the kingdom of God. As our dancers have helped us to see this morning, as Jesus described again and again in so many other of his parables, the reign of God is a feast where everyone is invited and we all get to learn from one another and share with one another. And there's an abundant joy that comes with that in life here and now. And this rich man missed the opportunity and missed the chance. So maybe if we are anyone in this parable, we are those five brothers of the rich man who still have time, who still have an opportunity to build the kingdom of God, experience the blessings that come with relationships with other people, with all kinds of people. The irony of all of this was not lost on me this week. As I walked into the church building on Tuesday morning to help lead Bible study, I was going in the door of the lower level, because that's the door I usually come in. And between the dumpster and the wall of the church, there was a woman sleeping. I walked over to her and I recognized her face, but I didn't remember her name. She was sound asleep, and I knew that sleep could be hard to come by on the streets, and she was in a safe place, so I went on up to Bible study, and we talked a little bit about it in Bible study, and I was convicted by the fact that I did not know her name, but I did know that in just a couple of hours the doors of the church were going to open and that she would be welcomed into the quiet place, as we call it. Every weekday from 1030 to 230, we open up that part of the church for folks to come and get a cup of coffee, a glass of water, to sit and put their feet up and take a nap, to go to the clothes closet if they need to, get a snack bag, a bus pass. But even more importantly, to come inside and be called by name. And those of you who work at the quiet place, I see many of your faces this morning, you know that you are blessed by those relationships. And knowing their stories and knowing their names and being known by them. I know her name now. And now I feel even more deeply invited by God to enter into more of those relationships for my sake as well as for the sake of the kingdom of God. So I'm grateful to be part of a church that wants to see people and to welcome all people at the table and to continue to make room and more room and more room for others to join in the party and the feast that is the kingdom of God.